we're not having our overhead working, and uh, they're trying to get some, get it solved or worked out. And ironically, this is one of those days that I got several charts to show you. One chart I wanted to show you today, and if I don't show it to you today, I'll have it for you next week. And we'll put it in handout form where we can pass them out for you. You can look at them in your lap if you don't. This is not working right or something. And, uh, but it's one that I've never shown before. I've never, never put it together. Brother Tyler this week uh, put it together uh, for us in a sort of a basic sense. And I was going to refer to it. Oh, that's the, yeah, that's the chart. Okay. Can you see that? Okay. Uh, if you will turn that one off, I'll get to it in a little bit then. That's one of the charts I was going to refer to. Everything else I've got other, other charts too, but we'll not use those. Praise the Lord. Let me get started in the word of God. Let me just talk to you a little bit about what we've been, what we're looking at here. There's so much activity going on in the Middle East right now. And uh, if you're keeping up with the news or you ever see it very much, I, I get bored to death with the news. It goes on and on and on. And uh, sometimes I just quit looking at it. But then sometime I'll pop in and look at it and I pick up some interesting things about what's going on in the Middle East because Jerusalem and the Temple Mount is one of the hot spots of the world. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it today. Uh, the Jews want desperately to offer sacrifices on the Temple Mount. The Arabs, are want, they want desperately to keep them from doing that because they feel like that the Temple Mount is not the Temple Mount. It is no more the Temple Mount. It is the Sharif. The Sharif is the Temple Mount in the name of the Arabs. The Arabs call it the Sharif. Don't forget Temple Mount. There is no temple there. They'll tell you that. So, but the Jews say it's the Temple Mount. It's where the temple used to be. Yeah, it used to be, but it's not there now. And this is what goes on all the time. What's there now is the Dome of the Rock. And I've shown pictures of that with the dome, you know, and so forth. It's a very interesting thing to see. That Dome of the Rock's been there for quite a while. And on this chart, it tells a little bit about where it all started. And uh, I'm telling you that because there is a hotbed of, of, of issues going on in the Middle East. I'm going to give you some scriptures today and give you a little background as to why this is such an important thing to the Jewish people. I want to show you this in scripture. And so I'm going to start here by having you turn with us to Deuteronomy chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. I'm going to refer to scriptures and then toward the uh, further on into our lesson, I'll give you some, uh, we'll refer to the chart that we showed up here about the Temple Mount and some of the things that's happened in the last 2,000 years on the Temple Mount. Uh, I want to go back, though, to where the Lord told Israel that he was going to have a place that his presence would be, and he would meet with them. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 12, and look at verse 10 and 11. 10 and 11, look at these verses here. This is the Lord telling Moses to tell the children of Israel that when they come into Canaan's land, now he's given them the law, he's given them the Ten Commandments, he's given them instructions. They have been in the wilderness now for almost 
uh, 38 to 40 years, and it's time for them now to go into Canaan's land. So this is what the Lord says here in Deuteronomy. The books that record the law is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy was the last of those books that were written, and it was just before they went in to possess the land. Uh, in this 10th verse here in uh, Deuteronomy 12, but when you go over Jordan, that is going over Jordan into Canaan's land, and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when you and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that ye dwell in safety. Now he says, when all this has happened, you go in and possess the land, and you drive out the heathen, and there are no more heathen in the land, and you possess the land. Now, the irony of it all is the Lord told them to drive out the heathen because they were exceedingly wicked. He did not want the influence of the heathen to be upon Israel. So he said, drive out the heathen. It's a type of you and I coming out of the world, which is out like out of Egypt, and we come into the church or come into the body of Christ. And the church is not just the building here. It's the people of God, not only here, but all over the world. And you come into the body of Christ we have to drive out things in our lives that's there that should not be there. If we've been drinking, we need to give up drinking. If we've been smoking, we need to give up smoking. If you've been on drugs, you need to give up drugs. If you've been going to the, to the nightclubs, you need to give up the nightclubs. I mean, it goes, you know, things of this nature. And this is what holiness is all about, living for God. So we have to drive those things out of our lives sometimes. You just can't say, oh, well, I'll live coexistence with them. Because those things will eventually suck you back and, and you'll never be fruitful for the Lord. So that's a typology for us. The Bible says these things are given unto us as types and shadows. But their real, real, realism of it is our type and shadow of the spiritual side of it. Everybody understand what I'm saying? All right. So it goes on to say here, when you've driven out the heathen and everything, look at verse 11. Now I'm going here, reading, continue on in Deuteronomy 12, 11. Then there shall be a place, notice that, a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heath offerings of your hand, and all your choice and vows which ye vow unto the Lord. When they made vows, they, had, they offered sacrifices. Now, verse 13, jumping down to that verse, 13th verse. Take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou uh, seest. Not just any old place is going to do. It's got to be the right place. Verse 14. But in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings. There thou shalt do all that I command thee. Now, he talks about this place like in verse 18. But thou must eat them before the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. Verse 21, if the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen put, to put his name is be too far for thee, when you go to offer a sacrifice, he says, uh, sell the sheep, take the money, and when you get to the place, then buy a sheep and then offer it for a sacrifice. So he is giving them a, uh, how to handle those kind of things. And so this kind of thing about there's going to be a place I'm jumping over very quickly over here to 1520, 1520 of Deuteronomy. 
Thou shalt eat and before the Lord thy God year by year in the place which the Lord shall choose. Notice here, all of this is saying God says I'm going to build a, I'm going to have a place by which you do. You offer sacrifices. Everything happens. You come there before the Lord. Uh, you you do all of your uh, your your Thanksgiving offerings. Your 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 uh, and then the next one, the sixteenth chapter, deals with the Passover offerings. Sixteen one. And this is interesting because this is one of the big conflicts going on in Israel right now about the Temple Mount. If you look at 16.1. Be, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover. That's probably around April. That's, that equals with our Easter time, if, it, if you want to know that. Uh, keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God, for in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of the land, out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herds in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. Verse 6, but at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name therein. There thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, and so forth. Verse 7, and thou shalt roast and eat it in the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. Notice here that statement is said over and over and over. And I could keep reading this. It goes on in the verse 15. Seven days thou shalt keep the solemn feast unto the Lord thy God in the place which the Lord shall choose. And then 16, the same thing, the place which he shall choose. I'm just pointing all of this out to let you know that the Lord emphasized there would be a place. This word in the place is carried on into chapter 17 and so forth. I'm only pointing that out to you to let you know that the Lord told them, I'm going to have a place by which I am going to establish my name, and that's where all the sacrifices that will have to be done. Now, uh, I'm going to go a little bit further here. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 25. I'm going to go to the book of Exodus chapter 25. And the Lord here was telling them how I'm going to have you build a tabernacle. And if I had charts here, I'd show you the, my light was on, I'd show you some charts here on that. But I don't have that. 24.8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Everybody see the word dwell among them? In other words, I'm going to dwell among Israel. And then he later on says, in the place. And there's going to be a tabernacle. Verse 11, and they shall make an ark of Shittim wood, an ark. Also have a picture here of the ark of the covenant and where God's presence would be. What I'm trying to point out to you here today is that God emphasized to Israel so strongly that he was going to have a place in Israel and that he was going to have that place narrowed down to be within the tabernacle and it would be right there where the ark would be in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And then he went on to emphasize all of these kind of things. Now, uh, I won't read any more about it. He just said that he would meet with Israel. Uh, Exodus 29, 43, for instance. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. The tabernacle should be sanctified by my glory. Verse 45, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. Verse 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that bringeth, brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. Notice here, the dwelling among the children of Israel. I am the Lord their God and so forth. And then when the temple was built, now uh, David had that tabernacle brought to the temple mount. 
there was nothing there but just a just a mount, and he had that that ark put on the temple mount, and he had that or, or the, he had the the uh, tabernacle brought there, and the ark of the covenant brought and put in there, and that's where the presence of the Lord was throughout the life of David or the latter part of his life, until Solomon came, which was his son, and Solomon was instructed by David and also given permission by God to build a temple. It was called Solomon's Temple. It was built about 1000 BC. And Solomon built this temple. And when Solomon built this temple, then there was a dedication made of that temple. Now I'm going to read these verses in 1 Kings 8 because this has to do with the dedication of the temple. David has come and gone, and now uh, Solomon is there on the throne And I'm reading here from 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 6. And the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord into his place, that is into the temple now, and put it in his place into the oracle of God of the house to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. The cherubims were the statue of angels that were on each side of it. And there was an ark of the covenant and there was... Uh, there's a mercy seat made of solid gold. This thing was made of shite of wood, which could not rot, and then overlaid with gold. Very ornate, very expensive, and very precious. And the Lord says, I will dwell in this place on the face of the earth. This represented God's presence on earth. And the children of Israel said, this is very important, and it's got to be on the temple mount. You understand what I'm saying here? This is where it all started. Now, the Lord told them, you know, I'll always meet with you there. And this is the place I've chosen and so forth. And this, uh, I'm going to read here in the 10th verse here. I'm in, I'm in 1 Kings chapter 8. It came to pass that when the priests would come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. The cloud was the presence of God. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. This is when the temple had been built. And then finally in verse 22, Solomon had said a prayer. Verse 22, and Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, and from there on he begins to pray. He begins to pray. And I'm going to read this one more verse in 29. And then he says in this point, that thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, my name shall be there. So he was saying, Lord, we know that this is the place that you ordained from way back there. This is the place and this is the house that you're going to dwell. And so Israel had a lot of confidence in that temple. They felt like that God would always meet There were times that the Lord would speak to prophets and speak to the priesthood and to tell Israel, tell the kings where you're going astray, what you need to correct. And all these things rocked along for, you know, several, for about 400 years. Now, I'm telling you all of that because the time came in which the children of Israel did not obey the Lord. And the Lord says, I'll not always be with you if you do not keep my covenant and my promises. Now, I'm going to uh, go over here to the book of Deuteronomy again, another place. This is Deuteronomy 28. This was some warning that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses, just before Moses was to go up on the mountaintop 
and they'd never see him again. He went up and died, and of course the angels buried Moses there. In the 28th chapter, in the first verse, this is what the Lord gave to Moses, saying, It shall come to pass, if thou shalt hark diligently unto the voice of the Lord, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. If you'll keep my commandments, he said. And then he said, all these blessings shall come on thee. Verse 2, I'm 28-2 here. And then he names he names about seven or eight of them here. Uh, starting from verse 3, going through verse uh, 8, he names blessing after blessing after blessing. I'll bless you in this, bless you in that, bless you in that. And he goes all the way saying, then he goes on to say, verse 9, the Lord shall establish thee and a holy people unto himself. Verse 10, and all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord. And then finally down in verse 13 of that same 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above only and thou shalt not be beneath. Uh, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God that which I command thee this day to observe and to do. Now, when you go to verse 15, he says, but, and I got a big red ring around the word, but, because the whole tone changes here. He says, but if you don't keep the commandments and you don't live for me and you don't, you see the commandments told Israel what God wanted them to do and what he did not want them to do. They instructed them on what they were to do to please him and what they were not to do that would go against him. And so the Lord had these commandments. It wasn't just saying, you do what I say. It was like, I've given you instructions on how you can have, if you do what I command you, you'll have a good life, a peaceful life, long life, enjoyable life. You'll be blessed abundantly rich while you're still harvesting your fruit. Uh, it'll be seed time again. I mean, you'll just, you'll just be abundantly blessed. And they were, they were uh, just everything that he said they would do. But he says, if you ever say, no, no, I'm not going to keep the commandments of the Lord. Then things will start happening in reverse. Now, folks, let me just say this to all of us here today. God has promised a good life to his people. It doesn't mean we don't have trials and tests because we're still, we're still, you know, we're still on our way to Canaan's land, so to speak. We're still trying to make it uh, to heaven and so forth. And we have our trials and tests and so forth. We'll go through those things. But the Lord has promised. One day I'm going to give a Bible study on all the promises of God that he's promised to his people. But he has promised that he had never leave us, never forsake us. Lord, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that he's going to be with us through everything but we can't say, oh, I'm just going to do my own flippant thing and I'm going to live like I want to live and I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what God says. I don't care what anybody says. If we ever take that attitude, we get in trouble with God. And that's what happened to Israel. And that's what can happen to individuals in the church. And that's what can happen to the church, to the church if we ever get flippant. So we have to be very diligent. Thank God for the word of God. Thank God for the avenue of prayer. Praise the Lord. We can pray and talk to God, and God speaks to us through his word and talks to our hearts and, and just gives us direction in life. It amazes me sometimes how the Lord can just talk to us and get us all straightened out again. 
I've been, you know, crooked up and said, I'm going on the wrong way. And the Lord, you know, speak to my heart about something, show me through scripture or something. And I'll say, God, thank you for your word. I get back on the right track. How many of you have experienced things like that? God does that. <coughs> so thank God for his word. Now, in the same 28th chapter, he says, but, and then he goes on to say, I'm going to let all these things come on you. You know, you'll be cursed. You'll be, uh, you won't be blessed in the land. Your enemies will overcome you. You'll run and flee from the, from people, the armies that rise up against you. Finally, in verse 25, the Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies, and thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them, and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. You're going to be picked up from off this land and taken into other countries. And this statement that he makes in that fashion, it said many times over throughout this chapter in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, also Leviticus chapter 26, pretty well speaks of the same thing. So in the 36th verse here of Deuteronomy 28, and the Lord shall bring thee and thy king, which thou shalt set over thee into a nation, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known. Verse 37, and thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb and a byword among all nations, whether the Lord shall lead thee. That's what's going to happen to you. Verse 41, thou shalt begat sons and daughters, and thou shalt not enjoy them, for they shall go into captivity. This is exactly what happened in 606 B.C. when the Lord allowed the Babylonians to come over and capture Jerusalem. Daniel, Ezekiel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Mordecai, these men, along with 10,000 10, others, were all taken over to Babylon. Men, women, all of them taken together. We know about Daniel and Ezekiel because God used him to do prophets and Mordecai, of course, in the book of Esther. Now, I mention all of this because he's telling them this is what's going to happen if you break the commandments and start doing your own thing, your own way, and so forth. Verse 49, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle fly of the nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, verse 50. And it goes on and on, like in verse 63, and you shall be plucked off from off the land, whether thou shalt go to possess it. Verse 64, the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth, even unto the other. That's, that's why there's Jews all over the world today, because God did exactly what he said he would do, and he told them he would do that. And, and what you do is say, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to serve the Lord. And if they would do that, God would always have his blessings upon them. And he goes on to say, finally, in the end of that 28th chapter, in this, the last verse, verse 68, and the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships, and by the way, whereof thou speakest unto thee, thou shalt see it no more again, and there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bond, bondsmen and bondswomen, and no man shall buy you, because slavery will be so cheap until nobody will not even want to have to pay the price for it. And you'll be slaves that won't even be worth anything. Sold down in Egypt and shipped. And this is exactly what happened, folks. It happened in 588 B.C. Whenever the Lord came and allowed the Babylonians to destroy the temple the first time. And that's when Ezekiel, and I talked to you about that last week. Ezekiel saw the wheel in the middle of the wheel over in Babylon. And he thought, what's God's presence doing here? It's supposed to be on the temple mount. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And this was like, it's not supposed to, it's supposed to be on the Temple Mount. And this was before the temple was destroyed in 588. 
So God was showing Ezekiel what I'm about to do. So he takes him in a vision over there and he shows him the Temple Mount and is Jerusalem and Israel and he shows them the sins of the people that they're committing over in, over in Israel. In a vision, he shows him all of this. And he says, because of that, I'm going to leave. And he showed Ezekiel in this vision, his presence leaving out of the temple, out of the Holy of Holies, away from the covenant, through the doors, through the gates, running out through the Eastern gate, the Mount of Olives and heading out and, and gone from there. So, and then of course, after that, the temple was destroyed by Babylon, by Babylon again, Nebuchadnezzar came back into king and it totally destroyed it, leveled it to the ground, burned everything to the ground, everything demolished it. Now I tell you all of that because this is what God said that would happen to them. Now, ironically, and, and I don't have a lot of time here to talk to you a lot about it, but in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel, I'm just going to refer to it. This is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. The ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. Daniel understood by books, the Bible says, the very first verse says that, that Daniel over in Babylon, and at this point now, he's not a 17-year-old young man interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. At this point, he's about an 85-year-old man. He's toward the end of his years. And while he's over there, he understood that the children of Israel would be in captivity for 70 years. He had read some of those prophecy books. He'd read Jeremiah particularly and refers to that. And he said, you know what? This captivity is going to last for 70 years and then God is going to restore it. And so he decides and he knows what to do because in the Bible here, the Lord says, if when you're in captivity, if you will pray, I will restore you. And that's in the scriptures. I'm reading here Deuteronomy 31, 30 and verse 1. Chapter 30, verse 1 of Deuteronomy. This is what the Lord had told Israel way back there. And it should come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessings and the curse. In other words, you're in captivity. Which I shall set before thee. And thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations which the Lord thy God hath driven thee. And shalt return unto the Lord thy God and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day that thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul repent. In other words, verse 3, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whether the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. And he goes on to talk about it further on. Now, the Lord promised that. So Daniel... When he realized that it was growing close to the end of this captivity, knew that there had to be some repentance done. And Daniel went to God in prayer. The ninth chapter of Daniel, folks, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful prayer. He prays to God and he says, God, forgive me of all my sins and forgive Israel of all of her sins. And he prays for all of Israel. And he prays and pours out his heart and he cries and weeps before God. And while he's praying in the 24th verse, I'm sorry, in the 22nd verse, the 21st verse of Daniel chapter 9, the angel Gabriel appears to Daniel. He said, Daniel, I've heard your prayers. God has sent me to tell you what's going to happen. And from here on, Gabriel begins to tell Daniel things that's going to happen toward the end time. Folks, 
And it's amazing what, that, what Gabriel begins to reveal to him. And he even told him when the Lord is coming, when the Messiah is coming. He doesn't put it in the years. He puts it in weeks. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. A week is seven years, not seven days. And so 49 years are determined. And then he tells him from one time to another, to another, to another, until you get right on down to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26. And then he starts talking about what will happen when you get to the end of the, of the 69th year, which means there's only one week left, which is only seven years left. And then he says the Messiah will come. Messiah will come. And then the Messiah is going to be cut off, which means he will be killed. It's right there in the book of Daniel. He says Messiah will be cut off. And it's brought out right there in the book of Daniel. So any Bible scholar, even in, in the, among the Jews, could have read that. But the Jews did not want to believe their Messiah was going to be die for any reason. They did not equate the 53rd chapter of Isaiah where it gives a whole chapter on the crucifixion of Jesus. They don't equate that to their Messiah. They think that's just some to a righteous person. Neither do they equate Psalms 22, which is a description of the crucifixion. The whole chapter, or, or about three quarters of it. I'm just trying to tell you here that it was all in the word of God and that the Messiah would come and that the Messiah would be cut off. And then that temple that was going to be built yet two years after uh, after Daniel had this vision, there was a group of people that went back to rebuild the temple. And ever Daniel already knew through the angel that appeared to him that that temple would also be destroyed some 400 years later. Now, I'm telling you all of that, just jumping ahead a little bit, because I want to show you something here, that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, just like Daniel said. That's why Jesus could say, you know, not one stone should be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And Daniel had talked about it. Look at Daniel 9.26 for a moment. I, I, I don't know how far to get into this without. Look at Daniel 9.26. And after three score and two weeks, this is the last part of that 69 weeks that's being mentioned here. Shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. In other words, he will not die for himself. He'll die for the people. And the people of the prince that shall come. That's speaking of, of uh, the, the prince here was Titus, who was the general of the Roman army, and Vespasian was his father. And Vespasian was marching on Jerusalem and had been chosen to become emperor of Rome and went back to Rome and turned over his whole army, marching against Jerusalem, turned them over to his son and Titus. Titus took control of there. And so it's interesting, it was already prophesied. That it would be the prince, not, not the general or the king himself or the emperor. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Notice here, it says that the people of the prince, that's the Romans, the people of the prince shall destroy the sanctuary and the city. The irony of it all is that Titus himself as the prince and as the general, the leader of the army, tried to get them not to destroy the temple. He even or gave orders for his soldiers not to destroy the temple that was in Jerusalem. And Josephus says that when they rushed in there, that they're, they're, it was almost like they never heard what he said, that they were so focused that their minds were so blank to what he was saying 
they begin to tear down and burn and demolish and destroy and gold in the temple began to run through the cracks and they was digging out the gold and breaking the stones apart and they, and they went like crazy people and finally Titus just gave up he just quit he told his general tell the men and the general said they're not listening and they, they tore down that sanctuary it's interesting that the Bible speaks it like that it doesn't say the prince destroyed the city and the prince that shall come shall destroy the people of the prince of the city shall destroy the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and under the end of the war desolations are determined and from that point on it was desolate that I, that place was desolate now i want you to show the chart up here next week i'm going to i'm going to put this in a uh, if you give us that chart i want you to look at the chart here a little bit Notice over here, 4 BC, Jesus was born. Zero date follows that to the left. I'm over here to the left, and I can't point to it anyway. But if you'll notice the zero date, that's zero date. Actually, Jesus was born 4 BC, not zero date, which is a miscalculation on the part of the people who made up the AD, the BC and AD uh, times thing. That all happened in uh, 733 AD. I won't get into that. But in 30 AD, Jesus was crucified. You see the cross there. He was crucified. In 70 AD, 40 years later, if you look above that, Jerusalem and temple destroyed by Titus. 1,300,000 Jews were killed. This is all recorded in the book of Josephus, writings of Josephus. And he records all of that. If you look then in where it says 135, 70 years, 135, uh, there was another revolution in Jerusalem. Uh, Bar Kochba had a revolt. He was a, that was his name. He claimed himself to be the Messiah, and he had rabbis that was exalting him to be the Messiah. And he said he was the Messiah. And they decided that they were going to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount and defy the Roman government. And again, at this time, Jerusalem was destroyed by Hadrian. He was the emperor at the time. Hadron was a child molester and a homosexual. I can tell you that, too. There was about three of those emperors were homosexuals right in through there. And Hadron was one of them, and he was a child molester. He had a 13-year-old boy. I won't get into all that mess. Folks, these people were wicked. They were wicked. And the gospel was going forth among the common people. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm just feeling, I'm talking straight to you here today. And I'm just trying to tell you here today, I don't care how wicked the world gets, God's power is still here. Praise the Lord. When sin abounds, the grace of God doth much more abound. Praise the Lord. So let's keep on preaching. Let's keep on talking. Let's keep on telling it. Praise the Lord. Because the Lord is doing the work and will do it until he comes back again. But anyhow, this guy, uh, Hadrian, I'm on the bottom now, uh, which is 135. Uh, Hadrian uh, in the pagan temple had a built a pagan temple on the temple mount uh, and, 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 he, and he destroyed everything on that temple everything leveled it down and built Jupiter a temple to Jupiter was built and 580,000 Jews a half a million Jews were killed in this in this revolt so you can see how the Jews were really being scattered and suffering in this point this was in 135 323, Look, if you look above that, Constantine converted to Christianity and destroyed the Jupiter temple, pagan temple. And then his mother began to build Christian churches all over, uh, all over Palestine. And uh, 
And all these things begin to happen. And then finally, this was in 323, and then in 363, the Jews were given permission by a pagan emperor who had risen to power for a short time. And he had risen to power, and he gave the Jews permission to rebuild their temple. Folks, listen to this very closely here. This was in, uh, if you look at where it says 363, how many ever see that? You see the, you see sort of a lightning flash going down, look, looks like through there. What happened to the Jews are going to build a temple on, I think it was April the 21st. Was it March 21st? March 21st, I think it was. They were going to build the temple on March 21st of that year. And of course, that was not, that was way, not the way they were counting back in those days, but that's the way it is in our language today. They were going to build this temple back. They brought all the material to rebuild the temple on the ground and put it on the Temple Mount. And on March the 20th, the day before it all happened, was to happen. There was an earthquake that hit the Temple Mount and everything on that grounds was all demolished. All the, the blocks, the, the timber, the gold, everything they had on there, it was all just demolished. The earthquake opened up, swallowed up a bunch of that kind of stuff. And the Jews knew by that that God did not intend for them to build the temple at that time. That's when the Zionism began. In other words, it's up to us to rebuild the temple. And so this is where it all started back there. And then from there on, uh, finally, there was nothing that stood there for a long time. A Christian 629, that's like uh, nearly 300 years later, Christian church finally started started on the mount to show Christian control. They thought they'd put a Christian church on the Temple Mount to show control. And almost immediately, uh, the Muslims returned on the bottom. Muslims returned in the caliphate, uh, the caliph, he's, the caliphate was the office of, of Omar, uh, turned the Byzantine church into a wooden mosque. And it was called the Mosque of Omar for a while. And it was the, what was later would become the, the Temple Mount. I mean, the temple uh, shrine, shrine of the rock. And uh, this all happened in, in, in 638. And then the Muslims again up, updated the Muslim, the, the Muslim updated the mosque of Omar and turned it into the dome of the rock in 691. And Jerusalem was conquered by the crusaders in 1099. So it stood there for about 300 years, 400 years, like with a mosque there that was, you know, just sort of rocking along. And there was a dome of the rock. It was, a, it was a, not a mosque so much as it was a shrine. And it was a shrine in honor to, uh, to Muhammad Ali. Not Muhammad Ali. Muhammad. He, he's a boxer. <laughs> Muhammad Ali's name after Muhammad. Uh, Ali was the name of their god. Anyhow, it was Muhammad. My time is running out and I'm north and I'm trying to speed it up here. And I won't finish this today, but I got a lot of things to talk to you about next week. But anyhow, the uh, Mohammed uh, had ascended into heaven, so he claimed off of the rock that was that temple rock right there that he went up, and uh, and they, so it became a very holy shrine to them, the third the third most holy place to the Muslim world in all the world, the the you know, Mecca and then. Medina, and then finally this place, uh, the shrine, the, the Temple Mount. And so the Christian church, I mean, the, uh, Mus the Muslims then had this place, and the Muslims updated to the Mosque of Omar and turned it into the Dome of the Rock in 691. 
And then finally in 1099, Jerusalem was conquered by the Crusaders. They came and the shrine of the mosque became their headquarters. They didn't tear it down. They just made headquarters out of it. And they held control of it uh, for a couple of hundred years. Finally, the Dome of the Rock fell back into the hands of the Muslim. I'm reading up top now. Or with the Mamelukes. The Mamelukes is one word, actually. And the shrine was refurbished. And then Jerusalem fell under the Turkish rule with the Sultan Selim. And the Ottoman Empire reigned and ruled for uh, about 500 years there. Uh, so forth. I'm just trying to give you some updates here finally. And then finally where it says 1911, that's actually 1917, the British took control of the Temple Mount in the Jerusalem. And then in 1947, the British allowed Israel to become a state. And this is what's going on. And next week, Lord willing, I'm going to give you this chart, more of a condensed form and uh, Maybe a little color or something where you can keep it for yourself if you'd like to keep it. But it tells you all the things that happen. So today, the Muslims want that Temple Mount. The Jews want it. They both now have interest in it. Their, their people have bunched up. I'm going to talk about that. The people gathering back to Israel, uh, you know, from World War II and so forth. And Israel being made a nation in 47 after World War II. And how that they have begun to grow, and the Temple Mount people. I'm going to talk. I'm going to show you some paperwork, some material that I have, uh, some uh, letters that have been received, and so forth from that group of people. How that they want to start offering sacrifice, and that's what President Trump tried to get the Palestinians to agree on. If Israel would let them have their own nation, let them be able to offer. Passover sacrifices on the temple. And they said, no way. <laughs> so it, it goes on, praise the Lord. And the Lord is coming soon. Hallelujah. <laughs>